Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Snyder. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Jerry Galloway, to talk with us about the Principles, Requirements, and Guidelines, or PRNG. Uh, Dr. Galloway, thanks for joining us here today. My pleasure. So, Dr. Galloway, before we get into the PRNG and what that's about, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and why you're speaking with us today? That's an excellent question. I've been in this business for an awfully long time. I uh, was commissioned out of the Military Academy in 1957. So uh, you can figure that I'm uh, in my 66th year of association with the Corps of Engineers, uh, one way or the other. I was commissioned into the Corps. And uh, it, after a, some service in Germany, I went to the New York district and I've been involved in one way or another with civil works ever since. When I, uh, I went into in the 60s, the beginning of the 60s to the New York district uh, after going to Princeton where I studied water resources in civil engineering, I became fascinated with the whole idea of water. Uh, actually, I did my senior paper at West Point on management of the Missouri River. Uh, and I'm still working on, is that the right answer? We haven't come to an answer on what to do in the Missouri. And so it says that uh, my first point would be in all of this is that water has been going on, the, what, the river runs and runs and runs. And uh, the things that I'll talk about, the ideas I have are probably the ones that were talked about in Egypt 5,000 years ago. So uh, nothing is really new in water except the struggle among people for how we're gonna manage it. I've spent a, a long time. I spent 38 years in the Army. I ended up as a uh, Brigadier General in at West Point as the Dean of the Academic Board. I was a district engineer in Vicksburg. Uh, as I said, I served in the New York District. I had two tours in Vietnam. Uh, I was in the Pentagon working for the Chief of Staff. I worked for the Office of the Chief of Engineers. But I left in uh, 1995 after 38 years. Throughout that period of time, involved in water. I went to West Point after getting a PhD at the University of North Carolina in water resources. And I did that uh, in 1979 and became involved in the academic world as a professor of geography and computer science at West Point. And somehow then became involved in all sorts of Corps of Engineer and national civil issues. And since then, since the uh, really the 79-80, I've been uh, directly involved with, in one way or another with activities of the Corps. People that I knew were the chief or the director of civil works or district engineers, and we stayed in touch and I worked for them. In uh, 1981, the chief asked me if I would uh, go be a summer consultant for the Water Resource Council, which is uh, no longer can be found, but we'll talk about that. And I did, and I ended up writing some papers for them that impinge on the business we're talking about of principles and standards. As I stayed at West Point, I did lots of different things and wrote papers, went to meetings, uh, helped out uh, districts and others. In 87, I was nominated by the chief and the president to be on the Mississippi River Commission, a position I held for eight years and uh, served uh, uh, in the lower valley, since I'd already been a district engineer in Vicksburg in the, in the 70s, it was a return to areas I knew. And uh, and so I did that uh, and, and worked with that until I retired. 
And once I retired, I still stayed involved with water and ended up as the senior, I guess, civil servant in the uh, International Joint Commission dealing with the water we share with Canada and a, really a fun, fun opportunity. And then uh, I went into, this, into the civil world and working for a company that was working to support FEMA in many different ways. And then I moved to the uh, University of Maryland and I taught there. But at the same time, I was a, a, a IPA with the Corps of Engineers as a visiting scholar. I was five years a visiting scholar at IWR. And then I've worked with the Corps in a number of uh, positions since then, uh, trying to help out and other organizations. I've been uh, the uh, chairman of the board of an NGO called the National Heritage Institute in San Francisco. And uh, our last big job was uh, trying to find uh, the impacts of climate change on dam building on the Mekong. Uh, I've been on the, the International Committee that looked at uh, how we're going to do sea level rise in Singapore. I chaired an International Committee trying to figure out how we would uh, preserve the city of Florence and its antiquities. For three years, we worked on how would, if we had another flood like the Great One of 66 that damaged severely uh, many of the activities in Florence, what would we do about it? And we reported that back to the prime minister and, and the, the government of what was going on. So I've had a, a good opportunity to, to see lots of areas. I've spent a lot of time dealing and I'm currently working as a director in the uh, Water Institute of the Gulf. It's called the Water Institute by most people and deals with water issues around the globe. As part of that in the spinoff and working with the uh, Nature Conservancy, I've spent a lot of time in China and a lot of time working with the Chinese on these very same issues. And we're currently working on them as we speak, is how are we going to govern, how are we going to manage uh, water resources in major river basins? The Chinese are as interested as we are, and as a matter of fact, in many respects, they're willing to go farther ahead than, than we are in dealing with some of these issues. So the long story is I've spent uh, 65 years working in this business, and I'm not stopping. There's plenty to, to keep me busy. I am uh, on the board of consultants of uh, those of you in the Midwest of something called the Miami Conservancy District, which was formed in 1913 when the first great flood of the United States occurred. And they brought in a man named Henry Morgan, later to be the head of TVA, to figure out how you would solve the flood problems in the Miami of Ohio uh, River Valley. And uh, the plan he set up in 1918 is still in effect right now and is a very unique one and has been a, a guide for many people around the country. So uh, that's, that's a, a little bit longer than a short summary of what I've done, but I've played in water. I uh, enjoy it. And there are lots of challenges that we're still trying to work on from dealing with the issues of natural functions, uh, how we deal with natural functions and how we put nature to work for us uh, to the biggest one right now, and I just got an email from uh, Jessica Ludi out in the San Francisco district talking about uh, equity. Uh, equity is a huge part of what we're talking about. In 1993, when I was uh, at West Point, I got a call from the White House saying, would you come down and talk to us? And I couldn't say no. And uh, I was asked by Katie McGinty, who was the chairman of the uh, Council on Environmental Equality, and the assistant of the president, if I would uh, chair a study that would look at why the Mississippi flooded. And I spent uh, the good part of a year working on that. And we gave our report to the president. The report uh, said lots of interesting things. 
but it, it dealt with some of the issues we're talking about uh, now. And uh, it, it, the issues are still as ripe now as they were then. Again, caused me to think about the issues of PRNG and PNG and all of that. Well, thank you for your service and your continued uh, commitment to water and being uh, involved in the Corps of Engineers and, and all of the work that we're doing. Uh, so as Aaron mentioned, today we're going to talk about the principles, requirements, and guidelines, otherwise known as PRNG. And so for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what PRNG is? You know, that's an interesting question. I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people uh, from Mr. Connor and his predecessors, all the predecessors, all the previous chiefs, looking at uh, what this means and, and what it is. To me, it really doesn't exist now. Let's let's walk a little bit through the PRNG. Can can I go back and start uh, at square one? It might help uh, to put this thing into a context. The square one starts when we had the 1936 Flood Control Act, and everybody knows that. Oh, and what does it say in there? When the benefits to whomsoever they accrue exceed the costs, the federal government will get behind flood control. And that sounds like a great idea. When it started off, quite logically, people looked at how much did it cost and is this a reasonable approach to deal with this? Economists become involved, uh, engineers were happy to let them figure that out. And, and so when you were looking at a project, two things came into mind. One was very visible and that was the cost of the projects. Uh, and then some of the benefits, the, the dollar benefits that came out of that. But most of all was who wanted it and why did they want it and what was the, the, the telling reason for having this. And I can tell you that because having been the district engineer in Vicksburg, the congressmen from the South, the senators and members of Congress from the South were very, very powerful in the US uh, Congress. And so when they found an area or in California, you can powerful people out there, when they found an area that needed something they looked at the need in qualitative terms, not in quantitative terms, and then got some background in quantitative terms, and they justified it. They went ahead and built these projects. As economists became more involved, they became more interested in having more decimal places uh, involved in the calculations. And by the 50s, we had something called the Green Book, which was a, a way in which uh, OMB looked at and, and said, oh, you're doing a good job of figuring out the, the costs of these projects. When I was in graduate school in Princeton in the 60s, everybody would say, oh, the Corps of Engineers is riding roughshod over the rules. They're building things without proper justification or they're cheating in the economic analysis. That was nonsense. Uh, the economic analysis weren't always perfect, but there's no such thing as a perfect economic analysis as I'll get to. So. We, we went ahead and uh, the nation dealt with this. And by the 60s, what was happening in the 60s? We were having Woodstock. We were having people concerned about people. We were having the anti-war sentiment. We were having civil rights. And we were very much into the environment. And the members of Congress and the people all around the country said, what's this nonsense of always trying to get down to the last decimal place? And a man named Kennedy, he had some power at that point in time, said uh, and put pressure on the Senate to do something about this. And they came up with uh, reports that said, we've got to be more than economic in the way we look at things. And so the Water Resource Planning Act of 65 came out and said, 
we're going to look at these things on a basin scale. We're going to have basin commissions. We're going to have something called the Water Resource Council that'll be a, a, an adjudicator. And, oh, we'd like you to have principles and standards for the development of water and be broad in the way you apply these. Don't just get locked into figuring out uh, what the benefit cost is, given the items that you can create or identify as having economic benefits or costs. There are other things we can do, so just ignore them. And then people said, no, let's have principles and standards be broader than that. Well, between 65 and the, the mid 70s, a lot of people worked on principles and standards and came out with the, the principles and standards in four different areas. And they sound very much like what we're at today in part, but essentially national economic development, regional economic development, other social effects, and the environment. And you, you looked at those sorts of things and you put them together and they put out some guidelines and uh, some people liked it, some people didn't. On one hand, the people that saw that if you did things that were squishy, in other words, it couldn't be justified economically uh, easily, uh, then what you were doing is taking money away from projects that really had a, a payback. And those would be uh, big developments, uh, our, our waterways, dealing with uh, flood control and the, the important parts of cities. Now, I use the term important and put it in quotes. But uh, what it said is that people said you, you really need to focus on the economic. And so there began this trend to be more interested in the NED, the National Economic Development, than the others. Regional got squashed. I was in Vicksburg when this was all being battled out because they said, uh, if you use regional economic development benefits, what you were doing is you were saying, uh, we can give you a great place to build a factory in Mississippi uh, and it'll pull out of Buffalo, New York, which was in the Rust Belt and falling apart and therefore giving benefit and, and having in the ledger benefits to uh, uh, this region and counting that, you're not taking into account the losses to the state of New York for the loss in Buffalo. And so that got played down. Uh, people were a little bit serious about the environment, but not very much. And the other social effects uh, really wasn't part of it. Now, I would ask everybody to go back and dig into the Google about the Tug Fork Valley in West Virginia. People uh, were, were arguing, how do you justify a project if the benefit cost ratio is very low? especially if it's something like 0.5 and, and you you can't find that it, it's giving you tremendous amount of economic benefits. Well, Senator Byrd got on the floor of the Senate and explained to everybody that his constituents in the Tug Fork Valley had nowhere else to go. And in reality, if you understood properly what was said in the 36 Act, it doesn't say if the economic benefits exceed the cost, it said the benefits. He said, my constituents get great benefit and you're going to help them by having this project. And it somehow miraculously passed. I think he was the majority leader in the Senate, so it certainly had some reference to that. But it got across the idea that there was more to this. And so there was a, when I moved into the Water Resource Council and started working there, uh, we were pushing hard. You may recall there was a gentleman, uh, a great gentleman, who today is in hospice, is Jimmy Carter. And uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, when he came in in 77, uh, started off with worrying about water and how are we justifying it. And he did something called the Water Hit Project. It was it was called a Water Analysis Project, but he took a, a number of projects, uh, 20 or so, and said, 
we're going to stop them all if we can't justify them. And I had two projects out of the, the, the 17 that ended up from the core uh, that were in that. We had to have public hearings and uh, we had to get all sorts of papers, do it within two weeks or three weeks. And he and, and a couple of ladies in his office made up the evaluation scheme. Now, why is that relevant? Because it's the same sort of thing we're talking about now. He said, let's have economics. I want to see that. But I also want you to tell me uh, what the environmental impacts are. And oh, by the way, you're going to give me 10 truckloads of uh, information on uh, a particular project about its environmental costs and benefits. Realize that that's not, I can't take all that. I want you to do it in the number of uh, acres of bottomland hardwoods. And he, he came up with about five different indicators. And so he said, there's a way we've got to do this. We've got to figure out how to, to uh, make these evaluations. Well, turns out that he took several of them off the list, many of them off the list. But the most interesting comment is by his Secretary of Interior, who said on the day that he published that list of projects he was going to hit, uh, he lost the election of 1981 because he made so many people mad that he was going to, to impose this environmental business on the judgment of what's a good project and what's a bad project. Why is that important? Well, as I said, when I went in 81, Carter was really still pushing it. And he, I had did a paper on why aren't we doing more non-structural projects? And, and this paper has been published by the Water Resource Council and says in effect that because nobody believes you, Mr. President, you say you'll justify them, but there's been very few go through and people don't believe that if they spend their time developing a project that has environmental benefits or social benefits, when it gets to OMB, it's going to uh, make its way through because what counts is the economic benefit cost analysis. And everybody was grou grousing about that. The president wasn't thrilled by that answer. And then he lost the, the election and, and moved out. When the new administration came in, uh, the Water Resource Council was abolished. It was not abolished, it was zero funded. It still exists, it's Water Resource Council exists. And when you lost the Water Resource Council, you lost interest in the uh, principles and standards and they were transferred into something called principles and guidelines. And what did that do? I'm giving you my very biased answers to these. The biased answer would be, and I used to, when I taught class at West Point, I would come down the stairway and, and show the students this. And I say, the principles and guidelines says, thou shalt build projects that are economically viable and contribute to national economic development, as long as they do no grievous bodily harm to the public or to the environment. But it's got to be grievous bodily harm and don't really worry about it. And that took place in, in 83. And that, in effect, became the guideline. And for people that are very much interested in how you do things in the government, um, that made sense. Certainly, it made sense to OMB. OMB is the eye of the needle. And everybody's got to understand that no matter what we say and do in discussing PRNG today, ultimately, the eye of the needle is the place where all projects end up going. If they don't satisfy them, if OMB doesn't believe this is a uh, useful uh, the PRNG are not very effective. But in any case, what happened is that battle went on and on. So the PNS, Principles and Standards, which had four accounts, and then we went to Principles and Guidelines, which in effect had a de facto lead of national economic development. And a lot of people were happy with that. Don't get me wrong. 
And I spent a lot of time with Mr. Gianelli, who was the assistant secretary then, had worked for Mr. Reagan. And they were very interested in getting things done and, and getting them things done efficiently on a, an economic basis. So uh, that was happening. But at the same time, we were continuing to see, we went through this great growth in the environmental movement in the 70s and uh, all these acts that were passed that, uh, that certainly protected the environment. But they didn't allow you to justify a project based on that. And people kept coming back to that, coming back to that, the environmental groups and people that did studies kept saying, we've got to do something about that. Well, when the 93 flood occurred and I took uh, on this uh, job of, of running this uh, committee, we reported to the vice president who was personally interested in it and spent a lot of time with it. Although I'll say that the President Clinton knew a lot about it and spent time on it. We uh, came up with a conclusion that we uh, should be doing more than we are for the environment. The idea of the principles and the guidelines uh, was not effective in dealing with the, what should be the objectives of the country. The objective should be, uh, as were originally considered in principles standards, but there was need to make the environment co-equal with economic development. Uh, regrettably, we didn't at that point in time emphasize the need for social, although that the Corps had been trying to uh, move that into the, the spotlight and get non-structural and, and uh, social benefits in there. We put that out and it went over like throwing a rock into a pond. It didn't float, it went to the bottom. Uh, the president liked it, Mr. Uh, Gore liked it. Uh, I spent time with him and he thought it was a great thing to do. Legislation was being crafted in the Senate in the fall of 1994 and guess what happened? We had the, the Gingrich Revolution when Mr. Gingrich took over the House as a speaker. And not that he was opposed, I'll be honest, not that he had any objection to what we were proposing. Uh, the problem was when you change the, the House and the Senate, you change the staff, you change the direction. And so Mr. Barkas, who was uh, the person pushing revisions to get these things done that would make uh, move us towards a, a better principles and standards, that fell by the wayside. The White House continued for three years to try and push it, didn't, wasn't able to do that. And we went on and on and on. And so we continued with uh, what they call principles and requirements. So what are we gonna do about that? So we, we had this uh, principles and guidelines that told us something and people were tinkering at the edges. What's interesting is the chief's office in, uh, and I can't find the exact date, I would imagine 2003 or four, uh, came up with a paper that said, uh, we want to go back to the four accounts and we want you in, in core studies to, to talk about that and, and make a difference and show what we can and can't do. That didn't go very far. It didn't fly very far through the ASA and it didn't get through OMB. Uh, and there wasn't anybody that was running out saying, let's do this and, and make it happen. And not unstrangely, uh, People in the field, when you're a planner somewhere and you're gonna devote a, a year of your life to working on a project, you're not gonna take on a cause that you know isn't gonna go anywhere, where the division's gonna double check it, everybody's gonna look at it, uh, people are gonna criticize you. And so we really didn't get very far in moving, either uh, dealing with the natural environment and using non-structural and, and uh, nature-based approaches, or even knowing and understanding the social costs and benefits. Well, I'm jumping ahead to 2007. Congress came up with, because how many times do you have to be uh, 
told by the Congress, you're not doing it the right way. Well, the, the problem is there are multiple Congresses. In this particular year, the, the Congress that was there sent a legislation in 2007 that said, Corps of Engineers and Water Resource Agencies, we want you to get to work on the revision of the P&G and make it more broad, make it deal with the environment, make it deal with social costs and benefits. And from 2007, uh, I, I testified in a hearing for Mr. Woodley in 2008 or nine, and uh, we, uh, I guess came up with the idea that, that something could be done. CEQ took over and came up with the PRG, submitted it to Congress, and Congress said, "Oh, good, that's what the administration's doing." Except that uh, some portions of the Congress said, "Nah, we told you in 2007 to make up this new approach uh, and take in social and environmental, but oh, uh, don't do that, Corps of Engineers. You know, you're, you don't change the way you're doing things. We like it that way." The late congressman who was the head of T&I, Transportation Infrastructure Committee in the House said, the problem is we've got multiple people doing multiple things and they're not coordinating. The committees of Congress have different approaches. The Senate's different than the House and we can't get together on what's going to be done. So we puttered around from 2014 until 2020 with WERDA 2020 when the Congress said, Corps of Engineers, you haven't done what you were told to do. Go do it and do it within 18 months. Well, I look out my calendar and uh, we've gone far past 18 months and I don't think the Corps has gotten very far in, in making the PRNG uh, applicable and widely accepted uh, throughout the, the uh, organization in terms of social and environmental. It's there, but at the same time, let's bring in out of right field or left field uh, the whole issue of equity and the fact that we've done very little to properly consider social equity and environmental justice. And so that needed to be incorporated. And I think that was a, uh, uh, in a way, something that slowed down the people in the, in the core that really wanted to, and in the secretary's office, uh, that really wanted to see something done in that regard. But that really wasn't in the original thinking of the 2007 to 14 development of PRNG. And so uh, that said, well, we really need to go through and think about this. And I know that uh, R.D. James, who was on the Mississippi River Commission with me for my many years there, I knew that he wanted that to happen and he put out guidance to have that happen. But getting something done and through OMB and embraced by the Congress is much more difficult. So after we've gone through all this, I'll tell you the bottom line. The bottom line is the nation does not have a water policy. There is no water policy. In 65, we said we should have principles and standards and make them up and let's all agree on them. Uh, we haven't had kumbaya. We're not hugging each other saying, let's get together and work it. We talk a lot, there are different groups. The whole idea of uh, nature-based solutions is, is taken off. But again, when we're dealing with projects as broad-based as we're dealing with now across the country, Nature-based alone won't do it, and social alone won't do it, and what you need is radical action. Uh, what is the radical action? If I were uh, uh, saying anything, what if a president comes in and says, oh, by the way, I want environmental justice, and I want EJ40. I want 40% of the money that's spent in these programs to go to environmental justice, and you better listen to that. I have watched FEMA. I've worked with them on BRIC. They are really gotten in there and tried to make it uh, 
socially relevant. The dollar values that are showing up right now and the results from last year's analysis is giving a lot to the, the underserved and underprivileged communities. We know where we want to go. I would think the nation has said and the Congress has said that as a whole, we want to, to talk about environmental issues. We want to talk about social issues and economic issues, and we want to give them a complete balance in the calculus to decide whether a project should or should not be done does not have to include five decimal places and have great accuracy in economic benefits and costs. It is the totality of the project as it benefits the country as a whole and the people as a whole. And I would argue since 1936, uh, we have neglected to take a whole project approach to this and it has not served the country as well as it could have. What we've done in the Corps, and I'm extremely proud of everything the Corps has done and in, in the uh, projects that are, are there, but we could have made them better. And there's no doubt at all that uh, we have neglected some of these uh, elements, especially the social in what we did. So now is the time to move ahead with a new PRNG that's shaped to recognize uh, social uh, equity and environmental justice. My only question is, is if we change administrations, and I'm not speaking for or against, if we change administrations in two years, will the current emphasis disappear on EJ and maybe even the uh, nature-based? As much as the Corps has tried to support nature-based, you have to recognize this turkey business. And, and if you ask me later, I'll talk to you about uh, sponge cities, which is uh, something uh, you can use to justify what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks. It's really interesting to to listen to the the history though, and and like knowing when I came into the core as a planner in two thousand three, being able to look back and be like, hey, the four accounts and how NED drove things forward, and the importance of NED, and really all we were heard as a new planner in the early two thousands was NED, NED, NED. Learning about the four accounts eventually, but NED is the importance, and I think it's interesting to you know talk a little bit more about the holistic approach to benefits and how you know it was to benefits to whomever they may accrue, but now it's focused on you know trying to be broader. And you know you mentioned the the changes in administrations, the different priorities. Kind of curious is how are we able to take a new approach here with the PRG, kind of lock it in place and get us to a different position in the future. You'd mentioned, you know, threading the needle uh, with OMB and getting those, but how can we actually make a difference or what do you think it will take to make a difference where we don't just look at the NED and the economics where we are able to actually look at all the, the broader benefits, whether those are social or environmental and economics to get decisions and then actually make them funded and budgetable as part of the process. The purpose of federal regulations and those that deal with water, PRG and anything else, is to provide a, a guideline for developing projects that benefit the society of the United States and the, and the overall good, not necessarily the economic or the social or the environmental, but the overall good. We need to have that as a policy and we have to have somebody that believes in it leading that. To be very honest, I mean, I. Uh, I've been in the Army 38 years. I, I've served in lots of positions. I've worked in headquarters all over. If the boss says do it, you do it. Uh, we have now with environmental justice, a boss that says do it. And people say, oh, Mr. President, you can't do that. He said, do it. 
and that's what don't just stand there do it after uh, katrina i was asked to go to new orleans and uh, how do we deal with new orleans what do we need to do uh, the answer is don't stand around do it figure out the answer get community agreement and then do something but to take a long time to figure out regulations and plans that uh, uh, look beautiful and not do anything that's the problem that you have to, to face right now if the objective is to have a document and that the goal is to achieve a document that can be circulated to all the districts and nobody cares about getting it done then you've wasted all your time on putting together a new prng what you need is and i believe in what the president did he said that there's a problem with environmental justice we are going to solve it and in the interim until you guys figure out what you're doing and show me something that will produce environmental justice you're going to put 40 percent in there now he's he's surrounded by a bunch of good people and many of those were uh, back there in the clinton administration when i was working in, in the white house on this study they felt that way all along and they finally found somebody who would say do it governors have said the same thing we don't have uh, one of the things we said uh, after the uh, 93 flood is we need a national water policy how can that be in europe with 27 countries speaking multiple languages they have a water policy directive they have a water, they have a flood directive they're able to work together to come up with the answers they're looking at the upstream downstream approaches because they're not just counties or cities there's their countries that are affecting each other you need to have leadership in do, dealing with it so getting a document is not the answer the answer is getting the people that want the document to say get us a document which is a guideline for you the planner the iwr the uh, planners courses that have been held in the past in the core and the ways in which we train people have really been great because you can talk about different ideas the problem is when you get back home can you execute them and and we've got to get the system and it's again it's not just the division engineer or the chief i've known every chief and they're they're great people who want to get things done but they work for the uh, assistant secretary who is a political appointee good people sometimes not not as good other times but they want to get things done but they're also under the guidance of omb and omb is the same way i've interviewed the the last five not the current but the last five uh, natural resources deputies in omb they all came away with the same thing we're too busy to do really a deep dive into what's needed we are trying to stay alive the president says do this and in my opinion what their job is to help the president not do things because he doesn't have money to do everything and so you find reasons not to do things mr biden's made it very clear uh and and uh, i've talked to people on his environmental justice committee Catherine flowers is a lady from alabama who's right in there saying it's very nice of you to say we've got to have equal treatment of uh, septic systems and sewage in the south but if you're not doing it you've got to do something about it and that's what the president said he sent the secretary of agriculture i guess and the head of epa down there and said do something uh, that's what we need to do so it's don't stand there get your document if that's what's important but agree that you're going to do something once you get it well thank you dr galloway for joining us today for this edition of inside the castle we appreciate you and your insight and to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. 
Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the Corps and revolutionize civil works together.